Church of Christ presents Show Us, the sermon by the Reverend Gene Randall Bodman, presented on Sunday, June 9th, 2019. Last week, we ended our worship with an old-timey kind of hymn, one that some of us grew up singing and loving. I remember the deep sense of peace and belonging I felt when I first sang and first loved it. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. That line can still work a bit of its old magic on me, still make me want to sing out with gusto. But I wonder now what assurance I was looking for when I first learned that song. I wonder if I was uncertain that Jesus was for me, or if I felt that his being mine meant that some of us had the corner on Jesus and he was ours alone. It is still dear to me, but it's more complicated now, that line. But one phrase from that song I still carry in both my heart and my mind. This is my story. This is my song. The stories of Jesus are the story and song of my life. They are woven into the stories of my ancestors and every week and day and hour of my present life. Even when I doubt or argue with God, even when I am skeptical, it is these stories of God's life with humanity that I am in dialogue with. This is my story. This is my song. It gives shape to my life and a language for asking the larger questions about what it means to be human, about why we are here, and how we should live. Many of us here today have been participating in one congregation or another for years and years, some of us our whole lives. We grew up in churches, and we know the ins and outs of the world that is church, the language of the church, its music, the seasons of the church year with their different moods. For some of us, just walking into a certain kind of church building redolent of candles and flowers, perhaps incense, can make us lower our guard, our shoulders relax. We are at ease, safe space. But imagine, if you will, that you've never been in church or any sacred space at any time in your whole life. Maybe you weren't interested, maybe you felt excluded. But up until now, your entire life of Sunday mornings was spent with a New York Times crossword puzzle and a pile of croissant. You decide one Sunday morning to accompany your newly widowed aunt to her church. You're there early because your aunt is always early everywhere. And you're standing awkwardly in the lobby while she is hugging and being hugged by a seemingly endless stream of people. Suddenly, Someone wearing what looks like a bathrobe mistakes you for a regular and says, oh, good. Would you go get the Pentecost votives from the sacristy, put one box in the chancel and the rest in the narthex beside the bulletins? Um, do what now? Where? What are those odd things? Pentecost, votive, sacristy, chancel, narthex, even 
bulletin. Maybe even some of us churchy folk wonder about this odd dialect we use all the time, reflexively, without thinking. Just so we're clear, my churchy upbringing included some time in the Episcopal Church, where we throw words like sacristy and chancel around willy-nilly. In case some of us don't know, the sacristy is a place for keeping things, physical things, you use for worship, like candles and altar cloths, and ours is behind that wall right there. The chancel, I'm standing on the edge of it. It's the part of a sanctuary where the altar is, and it's used mostly by leaders and choir and clergy. And of course, sanctuary, which we use to mean the room where we worship and pray and sing, has as its basic meaning a holy or sacred place. And since holy places have long been used as havens or refuges from violence, it, has al it also has the connotation of safety. We hope that that safety is for everyone. The, world, the words that seem normal to some of us can be a barrier to somebody else. I was visiting at a friend's evangelical church, and I overheard one woman say this actual sentence to another, spoken with no hint of irony or self-mockery. I know being a greeter is not your calling, and I know you're in discernment about that. But perhaps you could serve the body as a greeter while you listen for a word from the Lord. I think what the speaker meant was, I know it makes you feel shy, but our usual greeter is out of town, so could you hand out the bulletins? From the particular, and some would say peculiar, names for things and for spaces, to the language that we use to describe what we believe and what difference it makes in our lives. The church has a language all its own. Or rather, the churches have languages all their own. It's easy to hear it when we hear it from other forms of Christianity. The Catholics with their masses, confessionals, fasts, and novenas. The evangelicals who are often convicted by a word from the Lord and to respond when God lays something on their heart. The Mormons with their temple recommends, fast and testimony meetings, and home teaching. Each one has a dialogue, has a, a dialect that belongs to them. I wonder though, what are the words and phrases that we use all the time that might make no sense to someone brand new? I wonder what words and phrases you have heard from this pulpit or from someone down the pew from you that has made you think to yourself, I think I know what that means, but I wish I was sure. This is our story and this is our song, but who are we telling our story to and for whom are we singing? Today's scripture reading recalls the moment when the disciples were in Jerusalem for Pentecost, Shavuot, that festival that celebrated both the first fruits as well as the ancient story of the people receiving the law at Mount Sinai, when God reestablished and clearly marked God's relationship with the people. The Jesus followers were gathered for one kind of religious rite and spiritual experience, and then they were caught up in something dramatic and entirely unexpected. 
They described it later as like wild rushing wind and tongues of flame, and then a sudden ability to speak to and be understood by people whose language they had never learned. This gift of the Holy Spirit, which for centuries the church has celebrated as the birth of the church, is a gift that is given specifically for those outside the Jesus movement. Jews from all over the region, immigrants who did not speak the local language and presumably had all the usual troubles negotiating life that lack of fluency brings with it. The spiritual gift was given not for the disciples themselves, but for the outsiders listening. God's gift reaches outward. The mark of the Holy Spirit's gifting is that it empowers us to connect with others. This gift given for the sake of others seemed so crazy, so ridiculous, that some people sneered at the whole thing. They must be drunk. Peter responded to those sneerers by recalling the vision of the prophet Joel and claiming that this Pentecost experience was the fulfillment of that ancient vision. In vision and fulfillment, this is what it looks like for the God spirit to be poured out. The young will see visions, the old will dream dreams, all will prophesy, young and old, women and men, slave and free. Like all prophets, they will not predict the future. They will speak out loud God's action in the present moment. They will call people to witness, to listen, to see what is right before them. Peter says it's happening now. The Jesus community, through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, challenged existing religious norms, just as Joel did. The church, which was born at Pentecost, carries this deep DNA. The Spirit calls us to make a home in God's life, and then using language that others can understand to invite them to make a home in God's life, too. Is there new language that we can use to tell our story? What new music might we need to learn to sing our song? We read the second chapter of Acts year after year at Pentecost. This might leave us with the impression that the Spirit came that one time in a wild and glorious display with ferocious wind and tongues of fire and then never came again. But again and again, the author of Acts describes times where the Spirit led and enabled the growing church. Here in the United Church of Christ, we affirm that God is in fact still speaking these centuries and centuries later. We affirm that, but let's be honest. It's language we often feel shy about using. This is how I see God acting. This is how I feel God's presence. Some of that shyness comes from a healthy humility. We don't want to presume that because we are committed to something, God is committed to it. Some of our timidity about talking about the presence of the Spirit may also be a reluctance to seem credulous. We don't want to appear, appear foolish or naive. 
As the person called and charged with preaching and teaching here in this community, I know this reluctance born of pride all too well. What if my words are too simplistic? What if my experience is too pietistic? What if I am insufficiently skeptical? What if I am too skeptical? Who am I to speak about the great mystery when there is so much about just being human that is baffling to me? Like Philip, I say, just show me God and I will be satisfied. Show me so I can be sure of what I am saying. And in Jesus' answer to Philip, I am satisfied. You already know what God is like. You have seen me, Jesus says to Philip. God is like a healer and a teacher, one who forgives and welcomes in, like someone who sees each one of us clearly, sees who we are, and no matter where we've been or what mistakes we might have made, names us as beloved and says, Go and sin no more. Be reconciled. Be whole. Be joyful. And, Jesus adds, not only have you seen me, but I won't let you forget. I'll send the Spirit to be with you, to remind you of everything I've taught you, and to keep teaching you. You see me now, and you'll always be able to find me. But how will we know when we have experienced the Holy Spirit? How will we recognize her presence? Reverend Barbara Brown Taylor asked this question in a sermon included in her beautiful book, Home by Another Way. She writes, on the whole, I find there are a lot of people in the world who say that they have never encountered God as creator, son, or Holy Spirit. But when they start talking about their lives, it seems pretty clear to me that they have. They just did not know what to call the experience. They did not have a name for it. So they wrote it off to coincidence or ESP or hormones. And maybe that is all it was for them. Each of us, of course, has the right to name our own experience. But just in case you have had some things happen to you that you do not have a name for, I want to suggest some ways I believe the Holy Spirit acts. She continues, one famous way is to give people a sense of new beginning. Say you have been in a bad mood for the last year. It seems as if all you are doing is moving bricks from one pile to another. At work, at home, in your sleep, just moving bricks until you do not care whether it is day or night. Then one of those nights, while you are lying awake in your bed, you hear one bird singing outside. Just one. Why is that bird singing in the middle of the night, you wonder? And then you realize it is not the middle of the night anymore. It is the edge of morning. The bird chirps again, and something inside of you softens. You take a deep breath for the first time in months, and your chest opens up. You get a second wind. You can call this anything you want. I call it an act of the Holy Spirit. I would add another trademark of the Holy Spirit 
is to give people the grace to forgive. Maybe this has happened to you. You have been hurt by someone. They know it, and you know it. You've done everything you know how to do to make peace with what has happened. You've journaled, you've prayed, you've conversed, you've clenched your fists and willed yourself to forgive. Then one day, for no apparent reason, something shifts and forgiveness descends with the softness of a downy feather, with a solidity of permanence. Your heart opens and you are free. You can call that anything you want. I call it an act of the Holy Spirit. Once you get the hang of it, the evidence is easier and easier to spot. Whenever you find yourself speaking with eloquence you know you don't have, or offering forgiveness you did not feel ready to offer. Whenever you find yourself taking risks you thought you did not have the courage to take, or reaching out to someone you had intended to walk away from, you can be pretty sure that you are learning about the gospel of the Holy Spirit. And more than that, you are taking part in it, breathing in and breathing out, taking God into you and giving God back to the world again with some of you attached. Take a breath. Just keep breathing. This is God's moment-to-moment -moment gift to us. We can call it air or we can call it Holy Spirit. It counts on us to warm it up, to share with it our lives. In return, it promises to fill us with new wind, to set our heads on fire, giving us tongues to speak of things we're only just beginning to understand. This is my story. This is my song. The same God who was present to humanity in Jesus sends the Spirit to remind us, to teach us, to lead us onward. What new languages will I, will we as a church, need to learn to share our story? What new music will carry our song? <laughs>